hard-hitting medical truth, cutting through conflict and confusion to the understanding you're searching for. Join Dr. Peter McCullough, world-renowned medical expert and practicing physician for this edition of the McCullough Report. Your life may depend on it. Let's get real. Let's get loud. On America Loud Talk Radio, this is the McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. I have a terrific show for you this week. I had a chance to go on the Covexit platform, chairman by Jean-Pierre Kikens, who's a world's leading scientific reporter and communication specialist out of Belgium. Uh, he's uh, currently located elsewhere in the world, but runs a wonderful platform. Go to Covexit, C-O-E-E-X-I-V-I-T, I believe, Covexit and uh, take a listen. I went on with Dr. Geert Vandenbosch. Dr. Vandenbosch has been uh, one of the viral immunologists, vaccinologists who previously worked at Gates Foundation as well as many companies who has warned on the worldwide attempt to vaccinate the population in the middle of a highly prevalent pandemic. And I tell you, some of his quotes were amazing. They're up on my Twitter feed, but I wanted to play a couple for you right now just so you can hear what he's saying, and how real this is in terms of this coming to fruition. If you go to Twitter, uh, P underscore uh, McCullough MD, you'll find my Twitter feed. It's heavily shadow banned. Uh, but this is up here from my uh, Covexit interview uh, that was hosted by Jean-Pierre Kikens, and I was joined by Gert Vandenbosch. Let's listen to what Gert says. I know, as we speak, the virus is working on increasing virulence, that you will have more and more and more and more cases of severe disease. For me, it's just just unbelievable. If there is one rule in epidemiology, it's impossible to control a viral infection without herd immunity. That is simply impossible. The only way to tame such a pandemic is to generate herd immunity because herd immunity will diminish the transmission down to a level that even people who are not immunized or not protected will simply be protected because the likelihood that they, they will be exposed to the virus is so low, right? And what we are doing with these vaccines is exactly the opposite. We are generating mutants that are more and more infectious. So we are increasing the infection rate. So it's impossible. I mean, this is a simple rule. It's impossible to end this pandemic smoothly as long as we don't have a dramatic impact on the infection rate. And therefore, I'm really advocating, knowing what I know right now, I'm really advocating, and I've been advocating since many months, for a dramatic, a dramatic decrease in the infection rate by using uh, massively, not vaccines, antiviral chemoprophylaxis. So you can hear that um, Dr. Gert van is really um, saying that the vaccine program is heading us in the wrong direction and that we should be looking for uh, chemoprophylaxis or some form of a method of preventing the illness in uh, severe cases. So I wanted to bring forward uh, to you a new development, and it's called uh, uh, Tixa-Givimab combined with uh, Siljivimab, 
and it's sold under the brand named Evu Shield. E V U S H E L D. It's a combination of two human monoclonal antibodies that um, are targeted against uh, SARS-CoV-2. It's brought forward by AstraZeneca, and uh, it is uh, specifically uh, used for this chemoprophylaxis in very high-risk patients. I advised it to a patient today as a severe pulmonary patient, uh, other patients who are uh, severely compromised. Uh, this received uh, emergency use authorization approval for COVID-19, and the FDA has a fact sheet out on it. Uh, it can be used down to age 12 or people who uh, weigh at least 88 pounds or, or more. And uh, they have not previously had SARS-CoV-2, and they have moderate to severe immunocompromise or some other compromising situation where they would get in trouble with a severe uh, uh, SARS-CoV-2 infection. Uh, the monoclonal antibodies, as many of you know, uh, I've uh, had very favorable view on. They're a wonderful product of Operation Warp Speed. The entire family of these has performed very well over the course of time. There's been some modifications uh, based on you know, various mutations in the virus, uh, but this came up uh, two days ago. It, it hit the AstraZeneca Newswire's March 21st, 2022, and the title of the release was Evu Shield Long-Acting uh, Antibody Combination Retains Neutralizing Activity Against Omicron Variants, Including the BA2 Subvariant in Two Independent Studies. Now, this still needs to be re uh, reviewed, uh, but uh, data from Washington University in St. Louis demonstrated that this product uh, neutralized uh, SARS-CoV-2 in a sense was preventive, and the innovation is that it's uh, long-acting, and uh, they demonstrated that it can actually uh, hold off the virus for considerable periods of time. The dosing scheme will need to be worked out in terms of how frequently it's administered. But in the PROVENT Phase three pre-exposure prevention trial, there was a 77% protection in the primary analysis and an 83% protection at a median of uh, six months uh, uh, analysis. So. Um, in, in October of 2021, AstraZeneca announced the positive TACL-3 trial, which is an outpatient trial, 600 milligram intramuscular dose. Uh, it was well tolerated there, um, uh, and uh, that was in patients uh, with mild to moderate COVID. So it looks like it's um, uh, effective there. So we're going to look forward to the availability of this product, in a sense, as a prophylactic, uh, that it, it could be used uh, in advance, if you will. And already, honestly, this has come up in my practice. So I'm favorable to these advancements, uh, certainly favorable to the, uh, the therapeutics. And I think this is, uh, this is a wonderful advance. Uh, you know, I have other updates and two important guests on the show, which I'll introduce uh, in a minute. But I wanted to get to our music segment since it's so popular. And I am being approached by musicians all over the world now to come on the McCullough Report. And it's a lot of fun because I'm, I'm uh, hearing about so many uh, new, um, uh, basically, uh, forms of thought and communication and emotion and pathos and ethos through music. And this comes in from Shay Shattuck Fegre. And boy, if that isn't a beautiful Irish name, many of you know that I'm Irish. And uh, Shay sent in uh, this note. She says, I've been listening to your show for a while, 
and believe that uh, that having a therapy uh, for ivermectin in my home helped prevent me from getting COVID uh, and uh, when my son and husband uh, got it. And my 34-year-old healthy sister took one of the messenger RNA vaccines. And when she got her booster last month, she had a very scary experience with her blood pressure dropped so low that she was on the verge of passing out for several hours and had to be monitored overnight. She's a musician and she does a lot of great folk rock. I think the sound and sentiment of her songs, the queens of the old world, would be a good anthem for women who are pushing back against the narrative. Women are mothers and sisters and daughters, and they are the backbone of your society. She said, I hope you enjoy the song as much as I do. Uh, here's a listen. So let me go ahead and pull this up for you. Now this starts out pretty fast, so you have to brace yourself. Uh, the artist is Becca Dean Biggs, and again, the title of the piece is Queens of the World. Uh, let's have a listen together on the McCullough Report. Your 
Wow, that was absolutely terrific. That was Queens of the World by um, uh, Becca Dean. And I have to tell you, that was a quick hitting piece. Uh, and, and I think it's a message to women out there that they certainly are stronger than what they think they are. And just looking at her picture, she was a young person. COVID-19 would have been like a mild cold in her case. Uh, and in fact, she uh, took what looked like a uh, some type of vaccine injury syndrome. Hopefully there is not any permanent damage, but why risk it at all? It is such a mild syndrome in young people who can easily, uh, their immune systems can easily defend them. Vaccination is really only to protect those who would be at risk for severe infection. Our CDC and the regulatory agencies came out very early and told everyone that the vaccines don't stop transmission. So there was no reason to take a vaccine for someone else. I mean, I think that was uh, the purpose of this. Many have said the only reason they took the vaccine is because they were threatened. They were uh, threatened by their uh, employers. And again, that's not a reason to take a biological product. It may be a reason for people to actually save their own skin temporarily, but that's not helping the problem overall. And I think it's been uh, a giant mistake. The other uh, update I wanna give you is I had a chance in the last week uh, an opportunity that was planned out over time uh, to appear at a venue in Fort Worth, Texas. And it was wonderful. It's the first time I've interacted with Cross-Politic Liberty Tour. Now, this is a convergence of politics, faith, the Christian faith, as well as medicine. I represented the medicine component of it, but I was on the stage with uh, 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 a, a former uh, state governor um, uh, candidate, uh, Chad, as well as with um, uh, Pastor Douglas Wills from Idaho uh, and several other leaders. And I had a chance to make a few points to the crowd. This was a large live crowd uh, in uh, really just a, a wonderful homey venue in Fort Worth, Texas. You ever been to Fort Worth? It's a wonderful place. Uh, you know, Dallas is like a little LA. It's kind of glitzy and it's got the glamour and the nightlife and all the young people. And Fort Worth is like Cowtown. It's just, uh, when you go to Fort Worth, you almost uh, feel like you're at the gateway to the West. The stockyards, the Fort, Fort Worth uh, rodeo and livestock show every year. And Fort Worth is a great place to get a pair of of custom-made cowboy boots. It's wonderful. But let's take a listen. Uh, here is uh a few points that I made uh, in, um, in Fort Worth. People in Fort Worth in this area haven't had a single update on what they should do when they get COVID. The World Health Organization says not to use remdesivir in the hospital because it results in more deaths than giving placebo and it injures the kidneys and the liver. Now, before COVID, we can treat any patient with any drug we want to. Actually, during COVID, we can use any drug in any patient that we want to if our medical judgment says that this is the best thing to do, even during COVID, provided it's not a patient with COVID. Point is, instead of Borla pushing a fourth uh, uh, dose, he should be explaining why Pfizer knew about 1,223 people who had died worldwide within 90 days of release of their vaccine in the world. That's just come out in the last two weeks. Wow. And why Pfizer did not change the consent form, did not inform any governments, and they didn't pull the product off the market. And the standard is 50 unexplained deaths, the products are gone. And so what I ask everybody to do 
is just do a little internal review of you yourself and ask yourself, what have you done that's courageous? That's publicly courageous. These vaccines, it's clear they have risk. They have the ultimate risk loaded. Where there is risk, there must be choice. Well, there, you heard my points uh, making it to a large crowd, and I would make it to you listening to the McCullough Report. Do an internal review. What have you done that's courageous? What have you done to get out there and make your opinions known? Or have you been hiding in the shadows? Have you been trying to get an exemption from the next vaccine mandate? Uh, are you trying to kind of save your own skin and see what happens with this development? We're, we've got our third year of this. It's pretty clear it's going in the wrong direction. And it's pretty clear that the only court open is the court of public opinion. You know, get out there. There are freedom uh, conferences and festivals all over the country. And they're really fun, too. Uh, you'll have a great time getting out there, letting your voice be known. If you're listening to this overseas, find out how to get involved, how to uh, make your opinion known and get into conversations with loved ones, family members and friends and discuss the risks and benefits of what's going on. Everyone needs early treatment and that everyone needs to understand the vaccines have serious safety risks and uh, acknowledge deaths that are directly due to the vaccine. Well, we have a terrific show today and I, I bring two people on to the show for the first time. First is Dr. Uh, Jancy Lindsay. And Jancy Lindsay is a PhD and a professional toxicologist. She's actually studied the toxicology of products. She's considered one of the preeminent expert witnesses in a court of law on the toxicology of a variety of products. She's applied a terrific amount of scholarship to SARS-CoV-2, what we knew about it years ahead of time, the virus, the coronaviruses themselves, uh, how the uh, viruses have been uh, in a sense, followed uh, uh, scientifically over time uh, developments, and it looks like almost certainly uh, human manipulation of what's called furin cleavage that can uh, make the spike protein in the virus far more pathogenic. Furin cleavage probably at more than uh, one location uh, strategically placed. And uh, she was the first, I give her credit, I believe she's the very first U.S. PhD level person who's well recognized to come out and say the vaccines simply aren't safe. And she did that early on in the pandemic in 2021. She appeared on the whistleblower newsroom with uh, former CNN producer, Christina Borgeson. And Christina, I believe is, I've had her on the McCullough Report. She's terrific. And uh, if you ever want to see a great groundbreaking news program, go to the Whistleblower's news, Newsroom to see Christina as she brings people on. She's brought on some terrific guests, particularly recently with uh, Edward Dowd, former BlackRock, who's come out and basically indicated that Pfizer has defrauded the government. So we have Jancy Lindsay, and she's going to go over where we are with respect to uh, vaccine safety and SARS-CoV-2. And then on the back side, I uh, go across the ocean to visit Dr. Panagis Polycretus. And he has a Greek name, but he was born in Italy, grew up there. He's in Florence uh, area. He's a PhD scientist, and he's come out with a very, very important paper. Uh, it's on my Twitter feed. It's uh, What he says is that it's so obvious that it should have been published, and he was shocked it wasn't published uh, previously, but he gets credit. He publishes it, and it's called The Role of Antigen Presentation in the Process of 
immunization mechanism for the genetic vaccines against COVID-19 and the need for biodistribution evaluations. And he makes the point that this is pretty simple. You know, we are making cells take up messenger RNA or adenoviral DNA and express the spike protein. That's a highly unnatural process. He says with great degree of certainty as a scientist that this is causing destruction of human cells and an autoimmune attack. He says it's certain that the injury syndromes we see reflect tissue destruction and autoimmune attack. And he summarizes over 1,000 peer-reviewed papers on vaccine injury syndrome. So a bold paper, bold scientist, all the way from Italy, and he'll be on the backside of the McCullough Report. So let's get real. Let's get loud. On America Out Loud Talk Radio, this is the McCullough Report. get real, let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. I want to, for the first time on the show, introduce you to the Genesis Mister. Now this technology uses HOCL and check this out. This is in the medical literature and there are a lot of papers on this naturally available, easily created disinfectant and Genesis has brought this to your house. Clean air is essential to good health. We should be killing pathogens in the air where they pose the most risk for transmission. Genesis is a clean air technology based on the human immune system. We are not going back to pre-COVID world. The Genesis fogger is a powerful tool not only for living with COVID, but it also is perfect for killing other harmful pathogens, including cold and flu, as well as other dangerous antibiotic-resistant superbugs that have been in the news. Now, these contagions are no problem for the Genesis Fogger plus HOCL. There are multiple uh, articles on this technology. Genesis is a well-designed machine that produces fine dry mist using HOCL to quickly kill germs, bacteria, and viruses in the air and on surfaces simultaneously. Unlike other products, HOCL is natural, safe, and effective. It can be used around people, animals, and plants, and it doesn't harm the environment. Because it disinfects the air and the surfaces, including hard-to-reach areas at once, the Genesis Fogger and HOCL gets the job done more thoroughly in any setting and at a fraction of the time. This revolutionary technology is a complete game-changer for clean air. Uh, Visit thegenesisfogger.com forward slash outloud and get 15% off uh, your first purchase uh, of the Genesis Fogger. I have mine at home. I'm going to be putting it together this week, and I'll report back to you on how this works. I plan to use it around some vulnerable people in my house who are very vulnerable, not only to COVID-19, but to other respiratory pathogens. So let's get real. Let's get loud. On America Loud Talk Radio, this is the McCullough Report. Let's get real. Let's get loud. On America Loud Talk Radio, this is the McCullough Report. And I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. I'm here with Dr. Jancy Lindsay. Now she's a PhD and she is an expert in toxicology. And she's worked as, uh, in a sense, a a consultant in toxicology, forensic toxicology, and the application of um, principles in this area for many years. And uh, she's located here in Texas. And I wanted to bring her on the show for some comments because I have to tell you, when I look back over Uh, the last two years, I think Dr. Lindsay was the first to come out in public and actually make, at the times, it seemed to be pretty bold statements regarding why the vaccines 
would carry uh, the dangers that in fact we're realizing today. Dr. Lindsay, welcome to the McCullough Report. Thank you so much, Peter. Thank you for having me on. Well, let's set the stage here. And it, it started with this question that I, I need to ask a lot of people. How did you know? How did you know so early? I started doing the research early on. Uh, there was a clear paper trail for me with respect to um, a closely related virus having been engineered over the years through gain of function research. And of course, uh, that was published, openly published, as were the grants that funded it. So I, I never really had a question as to where the virus came from. I always suspected that it was engineered, um, which led me back to efforts against trying to combat an engineered bioweapon. So when the vaccines or genetic vaccines, gene therapies, in fact, were released so quickly, uh, that made me do further research into what had been done with respect to developing coronavirus uh, vaccines previously. And all of that research led me to conclude that uh, there hadn't been a coronavirus vaccine that was successful because every effort to do so, including you know, mRNA efforts and whole protein and DNA and adenoviral vector and VE vector had all caused immunopathology uh, that was significant following any of these. So I, I was very much trying to get this out. The Sang et al. 2012 paper covered this quite well. Um, there's a table in the back of the paper that goes over which of the immunogen regions, such as S protein or nuclear capsid uh, E segment, was successful or not successful or did uh, in, co in causing uh, neutralization or immunogenicity, and then which ones caused immunopathology. And even though a couple of them are noted to not have caused immunopathology in the table, if you go into the discussion section of the paper, it actually elaborates that all of them caused immunopathology. Uh, so, so do these principles that you've outlined from that paper, do they also apply to the respiratory infection or just the vaccines? So there's, there's a lot to be found with respect to the respiratory infection or the pleural infection. If you just go back to the original research with the rabbit coronavirus that was found, uh, as, interestingly, as a contaminant of, of the John Hopkins nickel strain of treponema pallidum. Um, so it was first isolated from there and was shown to be able to cause a pleural disease as well as uh, cardiomyopathy, specifically myocarditis. Uh, the very early papers by Dr. Small, Dr. Fenested, um, have some incredibly interesting pathology that I've posted here and there. But something that came up yesterday, I saw an interview, I think, was it, uh, was it with you and, and Steve Kirsch, perhaps, talking about um, the ability that there was clotting going on in the absence of, of platelets in an experiment that was done. Yeah, that was an interesting observation. I believe Dr. Ryan Cole was the first to make it okay. that in fact, this is one of the uh, few examples we think of in medicine where uh, clot formation can happen in the absence of platelets. And there've been some preclinical studies where there's no platelets involved. And in fact, the, the spike protein is incredibly thrombogenic. So if you just go to the early papers, 
the one by small, uh, you'll see that there's a section in there on pa uh, pathologic findings of the rabbit coronavirus uh, or what came to be known as the rabbit coronavirus uh, viral infection. And they noted that pulmonary edema and reddening of the tracheal mucosa was severe. Uh, usually at least 10 mils and in one case, 50 mils of clear straw colored fluid was present in the thorax. The fluid clotted on standing. Fibrin tags were present in the fluid, but pleural adhesions were not seen. So um, in fact, if you go through all of the pathology of these early papers, you'll find that uh, it pretty much mimics what we're finding in the disease. So uh, I think it's valuable to go back to the early research on early coronaviruses that are related. So what you're saying is that the pathophysiologic basis for what we're seeing with the viral infection as well as the vaccines is cohesive actually over many years of research before we Absolutely. Okay. And <laughs> yes. So, uh, Jancy, I wanted to get to this. I wanted to tell the audience in McCullough Report, when was it that you first came out and you said, listen, these vaccines are a bad idea? Just give us a clue on what month and date that was, because I credit you with, I think you were the first. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I was the first, Peter. Um, there were a couple other tech, uh, toxicologists that came out before I did on paper, at least. Um, and, uh, you know, I hate not remembering the names. There was a there was a gal who's an excellent toxicologist who put together a mechanism of action paper behind uh, the vax, both the genetic vaccine injuries, uh, how this could occur and the actual viral infection. Um, and I'll supplement you with that report in her name. But I came out publicly, I came out privately to some groups and sent them a report that I wrote around November of 2020. And then publicly, I didn't uh, say anything uh, in really openly until my CDC talk in maybe April, April of, of 2021. So um, I was trying to send out a lot of stuff behind the scenes in the fall of 2020. And I certainly was posting stuff on Facebook, but I mean, in, in a spring, <laughs> in sp as soon as they announced the, uh, the, the virus, I was posting stuff on my own media pages. Yeah. So people ask me about this too, because I think historians will go back and say, listen, uh, you know, when did things uh, look like uh, it could be the wrong idea and go bad? I, you know, I did publish an op-ed myself in The Hill in August of 2020, uh, just doubting the public health approach of, of putting all our chips on one on one approach, that being the vaccines. And I didn't anticipate how dangerous they would be. In fact, I focused on the fact that they may, uh, in fact, and did fail on efficacy. And then in the U.S. Senate, I was asked on November 19th of 2020, as well as our whole panel, the final question is, do you have any uh, concerns regarding the vaccines. And we had not seen any clinical data yet. It was just in press release. And so the majority panel, which was myself, Harvey Rich, and George Freed, and we were focused on early treatment, yeah. not, not vaccines. We actually remained completely silent. And then, you know, I did not publicly in terms of print have any concerns on the vaccines uh, in the literature until May of 2021. And that's when we published the Bruno paper 
which is heavily cited now, which basically says, listen, we've got concerns on this. This doesn't look uh, good. I recall a French lab coming out in March of 2021 uh, with some warning signals. Is I, I need to find that where they said, listen, this is not safe. We should shut it down. So I credit the, the March lab. And then you were in there clearly in April of 2021, then the Bruno paper in May of 2020, and then actually the evidence-based consulting group led by Tess Lowry in June of 2021 with a, you know, with basically a, a, a 20 page plus report to the MHRA saying the vaccines are not safe for human use, shut it down. Yeah, there, there were many evidence coming out um, and just stating the obvious with respect to papers, the coagulopathy, uh, those experiments had already been done in the fall of 2020. The immunopathology, of course, uh, the same paper that I spoke of was almost complete in 2012, but there were many others. Um, you know, ADE, uh, the problem with leaky vaccines that, that had been well established with coronavirus and other um, another like RSV, for example. So Jancy, I wanted to explore one final concept. Uh, and that is uh, on my Twitter feed, and it's going to come out on this show with your interview. Uh, I talked to Dr. Panagis Polycretis uh, mm-hmm. from Florence, Italy, who uh, has a paper titled The Role of Antigen Presentation Process in the Immunization Mechanism of the Genetic Vaccines Against COVID-19 and the Need for Biodistribution Evaluations. And what he says in the paper, it's on my Twitter feed right now at the top, what he says is that because of the mechanism uh, that each and every person who takes a vaccine sustains some damage at a cellular and tissue level based on this autoimmune attack that's provoked. He says, without exception, he said, it's impossible for someone to come out of this clean And uh, the paper right before it, I have from Lee and colleagues from Hong Kong University. This just hit the wires. It was published in the uh, Journal of Clinical Infectious Diseases, which is the Journal of the American, uh, the International Infectious Disease Society of America. Um, And the title of the paper is Intravenous Injection of Coronavirus Disease 19 Messenger RNA Vaccine Can Induce Acute Myopericarditis in the Mouse Model. And in that paper, uh, they demonstrate now, granted, it's an IV infusion and there's questions on dose and exposure, but on some of the uh, tissue histology of the heart, they found in every case there was damage. So in the Hong Kong University paper, and then in the theoretical paper by Polycratus, the concept does in every case, there's some damage. And the clinical issue is just in who and how much is it expressed? Do you subscribe to that? Absolutely. Uh, like I said, go back to the very early papers, the 1960 and 1970s and 1980s papers on uh, coronavirus and the use of coronavirus as a model to study cardiomyopathy and myocarditis. This virus in the rabbit, and they originally felt that it was a human form that was introduced to the rabbit through their experiments with treponema pallidum, right? Injecting the rabbits as a model and and trying to propagate the disease in rabbits. Uh, In each case, it caused severe myocarditis, uh, myocardial scarring, uh, all the features that we're seeing here. And of course, you know, the February 4th CDC slide uh, presentation, which showed that in in their study group, all of the persons in the study group 90 days out from uh, diagnosis of myocarditis, none of those 
had an indication by their testing, I think it was eight or nine different testing endpoints, that there was any indication of recovery. So um, uh, this is serious and it's real and it's been known for a long time. You know, they're pretending that this myocarditis is a surprise or cardiomyopathy of any form is a surprise from coronavirus is frankly rebutted by all of the papers that have been around for, you know, this many years since this, the 60s, 70s and 80s. Uh, and, and they're questioning whether coronavirus causes this. It's, it's astounding. I have to tell you what, I, I, I think this is, uh, if anything, this is a call for scholarship. This is a call for review. Uh, we're not seeing NIH, CDC, FDA, or even society meetings going over this, going over the biology. If we could just get together and talk through this and understand the history of coronaviruses, what's known right now, uh, we could get a collective understanding that clearly with the vaccines, we're on the wrong uh, pathway. And, and we could avoid so much human suffering and additional death uh, due to uh, the vaccines, the respiratory illness was bad enough, uh, but now the vaccines are offering this, this layer of additional uh, organ injury uh, damage. In the, um, the uh, Polycratus paper, he does summarize this, you know, a thousand peer-reviewed studies now on uh, adverse events with COVID-19 vaccines, these different injury syndromes. And it makes sense because this is the one pathogen that's distributed any, everywhere, and it all depends on the density and the relative uptake and expression of the spike protein that's going to create the injury syndrome. So last week, I had a provocative title for the podcast. I said, uh, one messenger RNA, one spike protein, uh, 1,291 ways to die. It was almost like a James Bond uh, movie. And uh, I, I learned from the platform that uh, it's gone absolutely uh, crazy. It's gone viral, if you will, uh, that so the title really matters. Uh, but Jancy, I think this has been a terrific uh, set of insights for you. I know you're working on many things organizationally, and you've been involved there to try to bring science together. Do you have any final words about how people like yourself, myself, many listening uh, to the podcast, how we can be better involved as scientists and uh, those who are forward-facing in, ter in terms of public health to get things on the right track? Uh, yeah, I do. And it, it's, it's just coming out. It will be public soon, but there are uh, some vaccine lab initiatives that are going forward, uh, proposals to uh, have a consortium of laboratories and scientists that are participating to get projects done in their laboratories as an effort to better understand both the genetic vaccine injuries and, and uh, SARS-CoV-2, uh, the viral entity as it is itself, um, and who, who was behind uh, the uh, developments with with the virus and with the chimeric uh, viruses going into gain of function and, and what it was for. So um, I, I think being supportive of that and jumping on board and finding ways to fund this research, that's that's where we're really going to be stuck is finding we, you know, we can crowdsource fund this, we can, we can do a variety of things. Um, but we're looking for government involvement as well. I mean, if we can mobilize troops to help on a border, if we can mobilize scientists to uh, do something like warp speed, speed initiatives, why can't we mobilize scientists and government entities to get to the bottom of what's going on with this? Uh, if, you know. 
Yeah, it's definitely needed. Well, uh, listen, thanks you so much for joining quickly on the McCullough Report. Oh, thank you for having me on, Peter. Thank you so much. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. I can tell you one of the greatest pathophysiologic drivers for tiredness and fatigue during the day is poor quality sleep at night. People always focus on how long they slept, but they never think about the quality. And to improve the quality, there's a terrific product. That's the Healthy Cell REM Sleep Supplement. And what I tell friends and family and patients is take it every night consistently. Uh, it comes in a continue, like a, a convenient bioabsorbable gel pack. Uh, take it right before you go to bed. Take the gel pack, brush your teeth, go to bed. Its effects are nearly instantaneous and patients get a well-rested sleep continuously, day after day, week after week, month after month. And then that daytime tiredness and fatigue melts away when there's a greater restful sleep the night before. So give it a try. Go to uh, HealthyCell.com and in the promotional code, type in out loud for 20% off your order. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. Because of COVID-19, many Americans worry about their health four times a day. That's 120 times per month. To minimize the worries, leading nutritional supplement company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost, an immune supplement that contains full effective doses of science-backed nutrients like vitamin C, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea, all in a one-a-day, pill-free, ultra-absorption ingestible gel. It tastes great, comes in a convenient squeeze gel pack, and it's more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Supporting a strong and resilient immune system can be simple. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Immune Super Boost. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. It's a great pleasure uh, to go across the Atlantic Ocean and have on the show today, Dr. Panagis Polycretis. And Dr. Polycretis is Italian. He is uh, uh, trained his training at the University of Florence and received a master's degree in biology and then a PhD in structural biology. And he's at uh, the Institute of, of Applied Physics, the Anello Carraria National Research Council uh, and that's located in Florence, Italy. That's a place I've been, a wonderful place. And he's published an important paper that uh, was fully accepted March 13th of 2022. And it was published in uh, the Scandinavian Journal of Immunology. The title of the paper is The Role of Anti Antigen Presentation Process in Immunization Mechanism of the Genetic Vaccines Against COVID-19 and the need for biodistribution evaluations. And that's a lot to understand for a lay audience, but I can tell you the paper is quite readable and I will have it uh, posted in the show notes and I'm gonna post it on my social media, but let me welcome uh, to the show, uh, uh, Dr. Panagis. I'll 
uh, use that. It's easier to use your first name uh, than your last name. Welcome to the McCullough Report. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for presenting me, uh, Dr. McCullough. So tell us uh, about your paper and uh, what motivated you to write the paper and and then uh, how did you develop it? Uh, well, basically, uh, there are two uh, main motivations. Uh, the first uh, uh, motivation is that uh, I realized that uh, the medical personnel uh, does not uh, really know uh, the fate of uh, the cells, the human cells that are going uh, to um, express and translate uh, the proteins, the spike protein uh, induced by the genetic, the genetic uh, vaccines against uh, COVID-19. Um, so uh, not uh, all the medical personnel is uh, fully aware of the fact uh, that um, due to the antigen presentation process, every uh, human cell that is going uh, to express and uh, uh, translate uh, the, the spike protein is going uh, to be recognized uh, as a threat by our immune system and uh, killed. Um, this is uh, a well-known, uh, I mean, I haven't discovered the, 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 uh, the, um, the antigen presentation process is a, a well-known uh, process by immunologists. And uh, I really don't know, and uh, I can't understand uh, why this uh, um, problematic uh, has not been uh, underlined uh, before. Because uh, it is well known that uh, every cell in our human body uh, expresses a viral protein is going uh, to be recognized as a threat and killed. And that's uh, the second uh, motivation. Uh, it is a matter of a very uh, huge concern that uh, uh, the fact uh, of the biodistribution of uh, the vaccines, because actually uh, there is no study uh, about the biodistribution of the genetic vaccines in human body. There are some studies uh, uh, done uh, by Pfizer, for example, for the Japanese, uh, um, uh, for Japanese, uh, um, uh, I think um, the, the regular the regulatory agency. Is yeah, it? yeah, a regulator, uh, the regulatory agency that uh, demonstrates that uh, in uh, small percentages, this um, the genetic vaccine, the the, mm, the nanoparticles, the lipid nanoparticles that contain the mRNA, uh, can spread uh, in uh, the the body of rodents, and uh, actually it can accumulate. Uh, in other tissues, like for example, uh, in the ovaries, uh, in the spleen, in the liver. So uh, we have to understand, everybody has to understand that uh, uh, every cell uh, contained, uh, that uh, com composes uh, these tissues uh, is going to internalize these uh, lipid nanoparticles and express uh, the mRNA uh, is going to, to die basically. So the damage, uh, the damage that, uh, uh, the body will undergo uh, depends basically on, on the number of cells that uh, will internalize the lipid nanoparticles and uh, the location 
within the body, I mean, the organ that will internalize these lipid nanoparticles and uh, the strength uh, of the resulting uh, inflammatory response from uh, uh, our uh, immune system. So um, just to make uh, an example, if, for example, for instance, um, the, uh, the, lip the lipid nanoparticles will get, would get internalized by cardiac myocytes and such, such cells would start producing the spike protein, uh, then the resulting inflammation would likely lead to the necrosis of uh, the myocardium uh, with an extent that would be proportional to the number of uh, involved cells. Uh, so that could be, for example, uh, an explanation of uh, the uh, pericarditis and the myocarditis that uh, we are observing uh, with uh, so large extent, um, especially, for example, uh, within uh, uh, the... Um, the, the sportsman, and that's because uh, that's a theory uh, because uh, the vaccines get injected in the deltoid muscle and uh, they should target the uh, axillary lymph nodes. Uh, the problem is that the, mm, uh, the deltoid muscle, like all the muscles, are uh, getting supplied with a lot of blood and uh, someone like a sportsman that has a very uh, strong and uh, well-working uh, cir circulatory system um, can take the liquid nanoparticles from the site of in injection and uh, uh, moving it uh, potentially all around through the body. And uh, it is fundamental for that reason to understand the exact biodistribution of uh, the lipid nanoparticles so uh, we can mm, assess uh, the, potential, the potential threats that uh, can arise from, uh, uh, from this internalization and from the resulting uh, uh, inflammatory response. Because it has to be crystal clear uh, to all the scientific community that uh, every single cell, every nucleated cell within the body that uh, will uh, get uh, um, infected by the adenovirus and express and translate the, um, the, the genetic material uh, contained uh, in, the, um, in the AstraZeneca or the Johnson & Johnson vaccines, for instance, or that it will internalize the lipid nanoparticles and start translating uh, um, the, the proteins in case of the uh, Pfizer and Moderna uh, technologies, uh, is going to be killed. It's, uh, it's something called science. They are telling us to follow science, and uh, this is a well-known uh, mechanism from decades uh, to science. So uh, basically, the biodistribution um, of the vaccines is uh, something of highly concern and uh, it should be uh, evaluated uh, very carefully. But do you think that it's even going to be worse in people who have already had COVID-19, the respiratory illness, and they've recovered, and then they've taken a vaccine and then been forced into this antigenic expression again of the spike protein? Yeah, of course. Of course, of course it's going to be worse because... Um, um, we, we are going to face to an enhanced 
uh, immune response because uh, people that had already COVID, they have already the antibodies uh, to recognize uh, uh, the spike protein. So uh, from the moment that uh, someone that has got COVID and has already the set of, uh, of antibodies um, will be we start the, producing the spike, the spike protein due to the vaccines, then it's going to receive uh, an immediate uh, and, and empowered, enhanced uh, uh, reaction by the, the, the immune system. And that's why, in my personal opinion, uh, it's not, not only is not needed from uh, uh, the, the people that had already got COVID to get back, back, uh, to get the vaccine, but uh, uh, it should be, uh, they shouldn't be allowed to do that um, because uh, they, they, they risk to undergo to an enhanced uh, autoimmune response. Well, you know, the US FDA and I think the other regulatory authorities, they never allowed COVID recovered patients into the randomized trials because of that concern. Uh, but what happened is when the vaccines got released into the public program, uh, they encouraged everyone to take the vaccine, even if they didn't need it. So it looks like, uh, you know, the clinical papers are fitting with your paper that prior infection is just going to make the autoimmune uh, phenomenon in someone who takes a messenger RNA or even adenoviral DNA vaccine much worse. Uh, so do you have any final comments uh, for our audience today? Uh, in the United States and worldwide, uh, your work is, um, is excellent. Do you have any final words for our audience? Uh, that's, a, that's a difficult question. My, my, my target, uh, it's not uh, the general audience uh, because uh, the, the people that have not studied uh, science and uh, that had not, they have no idea about uh, these mechanisms. Mm, they can just trust what uh, their uh, doctor um, suggests them. So um, my, my suggestion goes uh, to the medical personnel and the medical personnel should remember what uh, uh, studied on the books, because uh, uh, let's say the the pharmacological interests or the interests of the pharma the, the the pharmaceutical companies uh, they cannot make us forget what we uh, learned during uh, our um, studies at university. And uh, for example. Uh, the majorist compatibility complex uh, functioning is something that we learned uh, at the first year. <laughs> I mean, it's basic uh, immunology. And uh, really, I cannot believe that uh, after two years of pandemic, uh, after one year and a half of a vaccination campaign, I had to, to write this paper because I was sure that someone else would have raised this concern before me. And um, I was looking for this paper and uh, I didn't find anywhere this paper. 
You know, anyway, I, I, I had was, was mentioning something uh, about the autoimmune uh, response, the obvious autoimmune response that comes when uh, a cell, a human cell, start, start uh, expressing and translating a viral protein. So I, I said, okay, we have to inform the medical personnel. And that's, what, that's why that's what pushed me to, to write this paper. I think it's very important. Uh, uh, I found the same thing in treatment. I published the very first paper on treating the illness before patients get hospitalized. The same thing here with the vaccines. Uh, there has been basically a complete oblivion to uh, fundamental immunology. We can't force the human body to produce a foreign protein without having consequences. And your paper outlines the tremendous immunologic consequences and the price that's being paid. Uh, and, and you summarize you know, the over 1,000 papers that are now on vaccine injury syndromes where their mechanisms are outlined through the production of this dangerous spike protein. So I want to thank you so much for coming on the McCullough Report, Dr. Polycratis. You did great with your English, by the way. I know you were worried uh, because you speak, <laughs> you speak Italian. But you know, I have to ask you a question. Are you really Italian? Because I thought your name almost looked Greek. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm Greek. I'm, uh, I'm Greek, and uh, I have both uh, nationalities. To be honest, I am, uh, uh, I am a Greek born in it in Italy, and I have lived uh, almost all my life here. Well, I tell you what, one of the things we do on the McCullough Report is we bring in international opinions, and we're not seeing that in America at all. Our American TV is having nobody from the international stage come on. And so they come to the McCullough Report to hear important scientific work as you are doing. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, uh, doctor. And uh, I, I really have to thank you for everything, uh, not only to give me the possibility today to, to talk about my research, but um, I have to thank you for all your effort that you are doing. Uh, uh, I mean, not only now, I'm sure that you have done it with your patients and with science during all your life. But mm, in the last uh, two years, I think that you, you are becoming a, a symbol of, uh, of what a real science, scientist uh, that has done an oath uh, should do. I mean, defend health, human health, and defend uh, scientific truth. Well, thank you so much for those kind words. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is McCullough Report.